moms drop out of school. 51% of teen moms keep their babies. Girls who have an abortion are 10 times more likely to commit suicide. Girls who have an abortion have a 65% higher risk of clinical depression. 12 million Americans contract a sexually transmitted disease each year. Over 3 million of them are teenagers. 70% of all reported cases of STDs involve people between the age of 15 and 25. Uh, On and on. We're going to take a month to talk about what the world's talking every day, 24 hours a day. And so let us look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. For the stomach and the stomach for food, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but he who, will, who, who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Um. We want to see that the gospel had a radical impact on people living in a pagan world and with hardly no sexual ethics in the uh, Greco-Roman world. And uh, as we come to the uh, subject here, this section is so loaded with theology and a theology I think that we've nearly forgotten about, and that's the theology of the body. We talk this way, God saved his soul. Is that all God saves when he saves? Or does he also save the body? Wait, wait, wait. We had 20 souls. What about 20 human beings got saved? And what part of them gets saved? Well, just the immaterial part, the rest can keep doing everything it's been doing. No, he's going to give you a theology of the body. What the body, it has a divine purpose. There were three views of what was going on uh, 
that Paul had to deal with. There was a guy that lived about 400 years before this time by the name of Plato. And Plato uh, developed a philosophy about matter and soul. And he made soul uh, the apex, the immaterial part. Matter, eventually, it was more his disciples than himself, but matter uh, came to fall into a philosophical thing known as dualism, that the immaterial part of me is good, but anything you can touch, anything physical, matter is evil. So if matter is evil, you had a group of uh, Gnostics that grew up that said sex or any bodily function is evil because it's body. Anything material, physical, body is negative. So in the early church, you had men emasculating themselves to be more spiritual. By the third century, you've got celibacy being taught for the priesthood. Uh, It's better not to marry and be a priest. Uh, The church becomes your wife and you're married to God because that was the higher order. Have as little to do with the physical as you can. So in that backdrop, you have people that would make sex prudish, uh, make sex dirty because it has to do with the body. On the other hand, you have the pagan philosophy that said sex is an appetite without any ethics or any boundaries. When you're hungry, you eat. Eat whatever you want, whenever you want, and in the matter of sex, with whoever you want. So it was very common in the day and age of this, not only emperors, but the people. Uh, You had a mistress, uh, and I've been in countries where this is common. You keep a mistress for pleasure. You keep a wife so your children aren't called bastards. I have a legitimate woman that is the mother of my children, so now they can claim me. But I've got a gal on the side I have fun with. Very common in many cultures, more than you like to think. And just an accepted way of living. And in this culture, uh, nudity was rampant. Uh, The races were run in the nude. Sex was just like eating whenever, whoever, it doesn't matter. And then you had the Judeo-Biblical view that says sex has always had boundaries around it going all the way back. To the Old Testament, God outlined, don't have sex with animals. Don't have sex with the same gender. Don't have sex outside of marriage. Don't do this. God always put boundaries around sex. And so the New Testament, Paul's not saying anything that the Jew hadn't heard for years. So look at the radical difference that he names over and over that the Bible had in Christianity, the gospel, when it saved people. Look at verse 9, just to remind you. Verse 9 of chapter 6. Don't you know that none of these people will be in the kingdom of God? Sexually immoral. Right there, the beginning of the list. Well, what facets of sexual immorality? Adulterers. Married people cheating on each other. Male prostitutes, the effeminate, homosexuals, fornicators. Look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Just want to give you three passages and just 
the straightforwardness of Paul's teaching and the New Testament in this matter. Ephesians 5, 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, dirty jokes, vulgarity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. I think that's fairly explicit, don't you? You have any doubt what he's saying? Talk back to me. I'm here. Nod or shake or do something. When I ask you a question, I want you to talk back. I'm not just being rhetorical because I don't think some of you are awake. Turn to First Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, set apart, holy living, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust with the heathen, who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly says God is going to change your attitude about sex and your body. It's a radical part of being saved. No question about it. And they were going to a culture that was as bad as California, if not worse. Much worse at Corinth, for sure. Because to see a prostitute, they coined the word Corinthianize. Uh, to Corinthianize was you're philandering or you're playing and paying for sex. That was a part of the, semi, the image of the city. So now they had a model, a slogan uh, that they used in this city uh, among the believers that crept up. And these were the slogans. Everything is permissible for me. Uh, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. These are believed to be slogans that those at Corinth were beginning to pipe up and justify their behavior. And it's a great principle when you come to non-essentials. That is uh, uh, food, when they have that debate in chapter 8 through 10. Uh, Everything's permissible. I could eat uh, eel, I could eat rattlesnake, uh, or I could eat kosher. It doesn't matter. Everything's permissible in what we eat in what we would call uh, non-absolutes. But not everything is permissible when it comes to absolutes. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Then the guy says, everything's permissible to me. 
wait, wait, wait. Nothing is permissible to us where God has prohibited. They took a Christian liberty saying, and they started applying it to their sexual ethics. Or they said, well, you know, food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, and the body's for sex, and sex is for the body. And so Paul says, this is what you're saying among yourselves, but you're greatly mistaken. And then he goes on to say, a lot of things are beneficial, but not everything is permissible, but not necessarily beneficial. And I don't want to be mastered by anything. He comes back to tone them down. And then he talks about the, the food and the stomach. God's going to destroy them both. These sayings have nothing to do with sexual morals, have nothing to do with it. But it was a slogan they were throwing around, so he has to address it. In your notes, you need to correct something. Uh, Number two, I just caught it uh, yesterday morning. Uh, I don't know how this happened. I did not do this, but it happened. Uh, The Matthew 7 passage, it has nothing to do with this. Uh, Two says, a biblical view of the believer's body. That's it, right there. Right out the other, by the way, stop judging one another. But right now, we're looking at a biblical view of the body. Take your body and listen to what he's going to say right here. I think this is so profound. Watch. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Number one, the body is not now, now, see, if you're a dualist, it, it doesn't matter what I do with the body because it's only the soul that's pure. Matter is evil anyway. So if matter is already evil, what you do with it doesn't matter. Paul is, not, Paul is saying, basically, matter is not evil. The body is not evil. And this is radical. You're taking on Plato. You're taking on Gnosticism. He's saying our body is good even if it does get a toothache, even if you are on 15 medications to keep your blood pressure regulated. That's all right. The body's good. You just wish it was better. Then he goes on to say, uh, if it's not for sexual immorality, what is the body for? It's for who? The Lord. Why, Why don't we just say, God wants your soul No, he doesn't. He wants your body. The soul comes with it, doesn't it? I give God my soul, but my body is free to do as it pleases. No, friend, they go together. We're not into dichotomy here. We're not into dualism. God wants your body. Why? Because, I mean, we just know if whatever the body does, I'm doing, right? My ego, let's get real psychological. Is it my ego or my body that did it? it? You did it, honey. You did it. You're not going to split soul, body, spirit. You did it. And so he says, your body is for the Lord. That's why I say the gospel. The gospel's implication to these people is, did you know that Christ died to get your body? And if your body isn't being used for him, you are robbing him of what he purchased. You are fraudulently using your body in a way that didn't include his death. The gospel radically affects what we do with our bodies because it's his. He goes on to say uh, about our body, and the Lord is for the body. That's wonderful. Uh, Now, 
in Plato, it said the Lord is for something evil. No, the body's not evil. God is actually concerned about your body. Uh, he will accept it as a living sacrifice. You know what he said in Romans 6? Present your members. Present them as instruments of righteousness. As you serve sin in the past, give me your members, your body, so I can use them in the future. You know, we have no ghost that set up the chairs in the Family Life Center, just bodies. We have no spirits teaching kids. We have bodies. We, we, we don't need your soul. We need your body. We need you. Uh, the whole being, and God is for the body. It, and I think in a way, a, a lot of Christians don't have a theology of the body. They, they, they don't take care of it. They don't care what they put in it. They don't care if they exercise it. Uh, they don't care if they tattoo it, if they pierce it. They don't care. They have no God. Because the body just, boom, do. Hey, wait, wait. He told Israel, don't tattoo your body. Now, if you're tattooed, don't run out of here in guilt. Oh, he got me under guilt. No, I'm talking about your body. Whatever you do with it, whatever you do with it. Now, what you do with it before you know Christ, that's one thing. But when you come as a Christian now, my body is not my own. I'm owned. I belong to somebody else. Whatever I do with this body must represent the owner if I use it right. I'll look back here. Some of you are rubbing your tattoos. Let's keep on. (laughs) By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. Now watch. And he will raise us also. This is radical. They said the body ended at the grave. There is no afterlife. Not with the Greeks. No afterlife. You just turn to dust. That's it. It's over. So who cares what you do with the body? And here God says, I want you to know this. I was so concerned about your body that I'm not going to just let it go off the map and be a part of history. I've got a future for your body in which you will be alive forever in my presence in a body. We do not float around heaven as spirit beings, not the believer. No, no, I'm going to be in eternity in a real body. I even get to eat without Weight Watchers. You're going to get to eat. Why, why eat? Why talk about eating if there's not something that can taste? There's going to be a real function. I'm going to have eyes. I'm going to be able to touch the Lord Jesus. And he's, thank God, he retained his humanity. And have you ever thought, when I'm in heaven, I wonder if he'll ever let me get close enough to touch him. Why, I think absolutely. He let Thomas. And as big a doubter as he was, some of you need to be in there. We'll, we'll touch matter. We'll touch matter. Because matter is not evil. So he said, I'm going to resurrect your body, so don't tell me the body's not important. I'm going to let you partake in the same kind of resurrection as my son. What's kind of amazing to me is he resurrects the unsaved too to bring them up for divine judgment in Revelation 20. So even an unsaved man says, it doesn't matter what I do. When I die, it's over. It's not over. Revelation 20, he makes the oceans 
and the sea give up the dead that were in them, and they come before a great white throne judgment, and a book was opened, and the books are opened, and they're judged out of them, and they're cast into the lake of fire. So the body has a future all the way. I don't know scripturally where it's ever terminated. He goes on. Uh, Do you not know that your bodies, I'm sorry, I, I need to get the American version. Your souls are members of Christ himself. Does yours say that? Don't you know that your soul is a member of Christ? What does yours say? Bodies? Good. That's what it says. Bodies. Your body is a member of Christ. That right there. Your body. Forget your soul. Your body has become a member of Christ. Gordon Fee translates it, your, your body has become a limb of Christ, is the way he says it. Well, it's almost what Paul says in Romans 6. You have become members of Christ so that you've been united to him. You're now members and instruments of righteousness. As you serve sin, you're now these weapons or these tools. Uh, because, see, it's an amazing thing. A slave in the Roman Empire was considered an animated tool. So we become a part of God's tool chest, our whole bodies, and here he says, uh, we become members of Christ. Now, there's two ways to look at this. One, we've been immersed into Christ and we're joined to the body of Christ, the church. But he's not talking about that. There's something here deeper than just we've been immersed into the body of Christ. Here, is acting as though your body has become united with Christ in such a way that he considers you like a living member of it and it include what he wants to do in your body. Hmm. Let's keep going here. Then he, he asked the question, well, we'll, we'll come to that uh, later, but... Um, so I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? I mean, think of that. In, in other words, if I get this right, if I take this Bible into a room, what's inside of it is also gets to go. If I take this body and I go by and in very convenient at Corinth, I decide on the way home tonight, I'm going to go by the brothel and I have some local sex. And he's trying to tell them, just know that when you walk in the brothel, I'll be going in there too. You don't leave me at the door. I want to go wherever your body goes because you're my property. When do you cease to be a member of the body? When do you cease to be his united one, that you're united to Christ? And so, well, I'm just going to go in and get a quickie real quick, and then I'll get home and we'll go to Bible study. They were in the church. He's not attacking the local brothel. No, he's talking to a a church. Why do you talk to a church this way? Because its members are having lots of sex outside of marriage. That's why. Just like in California. One gal said it used to be sex, rock and roll, and drugs, and now it's... uh, you know, a little music, a little fun, 
Christian concert, then sex. But you still get to sex. But here he's saying, see, we, we've not, we're, all we see in this section is sex, and we don't think through the implications of the, the gospel. When I put faith in Jesus Christ and God put me in the church, you're trying to tell me, Jesus, that you formed an inseparable bond with me so that you count my body from now on to be a member of you and that what I do in my body from now on represents you in some way. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Well, I I want to hang out at the bar. I can witness. Well, you just took Jesus to the bar. I want to do this. I want to do that. When does he quit being attached? I used to think, and I wish it kind of worked this way, that when I decided to sin, I would politely drop Jesus off home, say, Jesus, you stay there while I go do my own thing. I want to boogie a little tonight. And I'll pick you up later when I confess. Lord, I'm sorry, I think, but here I am. And he said, wait, 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 wait. You don't have to come back to me. You never did leave me. I was with you. I was in the bed with you. According to Hebrews 13, God shows up in your bedroom. And he says the sex life of the married is honorable, so much so that Jesus Christ could be in your bedroom when you're having sex, when you do it his way, even if you're unsaved in marriage. He said, God will smile and honor the bed of the married. Same sex act as happens at a brothel, but when it's in the boundaries God ordained, he said, I'll honor it. It's honorable. It's not the act. It's where you do it and who you do it with. So, uh, pretty profound stuff. Now, look at here, he says, forbidden sex creates a union against Christ. Listen, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in the spirit. What's he saying? He's going back to Genesis 2.28 that says in the sex act, a kind of unity is created that even happens when you have sex with someone you're not married to. Sex with anyone forms a union for the moment. It's, it's a very binding thing. Now, now, here's what I think the real assault is. I thought your body was united to me. And in my will, I've ordained marriage. And in marriage, the sex act, you can have the sex act and me, will be in union. There'll be nothing broken because I created this privilege for you in that context. But when you go to bed over here with this prostitute, you're forming another union and there's a greater infidelity going on. You're taking the body that belongs to me and you're using it against me. You're forming a union as though this union isn't good enough as though this union is not satisfying. And so we pick up this language in Scripture. Jeremiah 3, Ezekiel 16, Hosea 1 through 3, James 4, you adulteresses, 
Why are you using your body against? I am a spouse to you. You're my betrothed bride. And how dare you use your body to form any union outside a union with me? There's the insult. And he takes Israel and he calls her a harlot over and over. You've gone to other gods. You're sleeping with other gods. And I feel betrayed as a husband whose wife has turned into a harlot. The language is blazing in Ezekiel 16. It's all over the Old Testament. My harlot people, my immoral people, they'll sleep with anybody but their God. And he's kind of taking this saying, look, sex is not, uh, what could you say, casual. Sex is not, eh, just a biological urge. Get rid of the urge and you'll be okay. No, 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 no. Whatever you do with the body as a believer, be sure you don't form any unions with anything that violates your union with me. Because... Now, here's an interesting question that comes up. We forgot to put the Q&A cards in today. We'll do them next week, the last Sunday of the month at night, uh, only for the three of you that have questions. Uh, we're going to have a Q&A, and, and I'll take time to answer them because uh, I'm such an expert. Uh, uh, is that sex does not equal marriage. You need to know that. I, I went to a Bible school that I was taught that sex equal marriage, and half the guys in the pastoral theology class was ready to drop because they'd been unsaved at one time, and they'd been immoral. And so if that was true, they had Susie Q over here that they're married to because he made this prof, he made sex equals marriage. That's not true. It, it wasn't true in the book of Deuteronomy. They, had, uh, they made exceptions for that. It wasn't true in John 4 where Jesus said, you're living with a man now that's not your husband. You've had five husbands, and you're living with a guy that's not your husband. So I assume conjugal relationships doesn't make you married. It takes more than that, and we'll find out next week what constitutes marriage. What's the difference? So you see this theology here, and then, of course, he comes along, Flee from sexual immorality. And I'm planning to do another message on that, how I think you can flee, some practical ways. Uh, this is the astounding thing about our young people. Uh, you know, uh, let, let me give you a tangent I feel in my spirit. I, I, I hear this, all, all the phones the kids have. I want to be able to reach them anytime. Well, why don't you just get something with one line? But no, I mean, I was just with a granddaughter. I need to move up to a BlackBerry. My phone, I just got bigger numbers so I can see what I'm punching in. And then that's okay. She's a married woman. But, but here, then we go down here. I've got a granddaughter, 11. She's got her phone. I don't know what, how much power it has. And we keep, because this is the rite of passage, you know, right? I'm ten and a half. I deserve my own phone that I take pictures with. And I do, you know it's so I can talk to mom. Are you kidding? Let's, let's get over it. 
You talk about enablement. If you'd given me a phone that I could have accessed uh, internet pornography at 12, you would have destroyed me. You think any 12, 13-year-old boy wants to flee pictures of naked women? I'm sorry. You're, you're just plump stupid is what you are. You haven't grown up where I grew up. Naked women look better than mom any day. I ain't calling mom. I'm calling Susie Q on the Playboy Internet. And everything is feeding in to the graphic video world where young minds that aren't saved necessarily have access, and it's entitlement. I need it, I need And who controls technology? James Dobson and Family Life Ministries. Are you kidding? The porno world that makes more money than Hollywood put together. It's there. It's accessible. And say, flee it. You say, in other words, don't go to school today. You mean uh, sexting on my phone uh, where boyfriend and girlfriend can send back nude pictures to one another? There's a lot more than talking going on. But uh, I see some parents, they don't have uh, the backbone of a spaghetti noodle. They won't say no about anything. Go ahead. Go ahead. Keep enabling them instead of protecting them. Sounds almost legalistic, doesn't it? No, I have 10 grandchildren and some of them packed phones. Don't even, don't even touch this comment I made or I will just be spiritual. <laughs> Let's quit being so dumb. Our kids are being picked off left and right and I see adults asleep, not even some of you. All I'm there to do is to feed and clothe and enable their taste. no. Part of parenting is the great privilege of saying no. No, to protect what is precious. So they'll find it soon enough because their friend at school will loan them their phone. So there's no end to it. But I think of the temptation when I was a boy. uh, Come on, there wasn't computers. This is just as the ark was settling on Mount Ariat. And uh, there were no computers. Uh, there was not these phones. I mean, we knew, I knew where Playboy was. I knew where to get it. I knew the liquor store. And I could see the school. So my, but it has multiplied so that to flee it, there will have to be an intentionality about the way we live. Because guess what? Dad and mom, you ought to flee it too. You ought to flee it. Don't do anything that makes you have a sex life with anyone but who you're married to. And that's a full-time job in a dirty culture. Then he goes on. uh, Notice here. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. I do not know what that verse means, and I don't think you do either. Uh, I read different Greek scholars. There's 30 30 leading views on what it means. I thought all sin was done through the body. How can I steal something without using my body? How can I lie without using my body? But whatever exactly this means, he has certainly moved sexual sin 
that they took as not a sin, but a right is permissible. He has put it in a category of doing something to the body that he says no other sin does. And whatever that level, what all that is, I'm not sure I can give a definitive explanation. But when I sin sexually, I sin against my body. Now, let's at least think this through. Doesn't that seem absolutely um, ridiculous? I thought when I had sex on any level, I'm fulfilling my body. Because... The body was made for sex and sex for the body. Everything is permissible to me. Uh, Stomach for food, food for the stomach. Hey, this cannot hurt when it feels so good. He said, no, no. I'm going to see that it hurts you in a way, especially as a believer. Especially because you're violating a covenant relationship in which your body belongs to him. But it seems to go across the board. When you form a union in the sex act with someone, even for that moment, there is something about it that elevates it above the ordinary, well, I cussed, I told a lie. or it, the, I'll have to leave the cloud of mystery of what all is intended because I do not know exactly. And it's so hard for me to say to you, I don't know, but I don't know. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure they did. And where is the Holy Spirit? In you. What about when you fornicate? Is he in you? What about when you commit adultery? Hmm. And you receive the Holy Spirit from God. Now, a temple image means a sacred place where God hangs out. God is saying something so radical. He said the church was a temple in chapter 317. He's now, for the first time, saying your body is a sacred hangout for deity. Actually, in your body. And this would have blown Plato and the Platonists off the map. The Gnostics would have gone wild. Nobody in that, the world of that day could have bought this statement. This would have been as radical as any. You're telling me God can indwell something that we consider evil? He said, God indwells our body by the Holy Spirit who is in you. Amazing, astounding. We used to have to go to Jerusalem. We used to give gold and silver to build temples. And now you're telling me us former prostitutes, uh, homosexuals, fornicators, adulterers, thieves, on and on and on. You're trying to tell me our bodies now houses the living God? Yep. Yep. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You're to be a sacred hangout which I would think if I'm around you very long, I ought to get a hint that somebody's living in you, besides you. And how would I know that? I start seeing manifestations of his fruit. I start seeing a love, a joy, a peace, supernatural kind of characteristics in you and your behavior that are beyond the norm. They're supernatural. It's the result of this person in you bearing this fruit. 
And you know, when, John, when Jesus said, John 15, abide in me, you know what he was saying? Don't ever lose contact with me because the only way you can bear fruit, remain joyful, and have all that God wants, you must remain in constant contact with the vine. Let nothing break the contact. Nothing. Stay in contact with him. Then he goes on to say, don't you know you've been bought, bought with a price? Uh, you're not your own. Let me ask you, uh, let's get a different object than a Bible. Let's see. Uh, here's some masking tape. I don't know why they had it in the pulpit. Maybe someone's going to run up and apply it to me. Uh, I bought this tape, let's say, and I take it home for the tape to tell me how it will be used. So the tape says, no, no, no. I said, no, 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 you can't. Wait, wait. No, no. I will be used the way I want. You just bought me. But I will determine what is done with me. I would do this. I didn't buy you for you to tell me, to tell me what I'm going to do. The reason I paid the price was to get the right to have control over the object. Now, what is he saying to it? He's using very big, and he uses a word for buying slaves, agarazzo, right in the marketplace. You don't go in the marketplace and buy a slave, as was so common there, and make them your own household property for the slaves. By the way, I won't do anything you say. Uh, my spiritual gift is watching TV. <laughs> said, oh, no, 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 no. I bought you to do what I say. And what he's saying to these believers, listen to me, Corinthians, you who were saved by the preaching of the cross, you who were saved when I came into town by the hearing of the gospel and the work of the Spirit, your inner man, I want to fill you in on the other half. He didn't save you not to have complete mastery over your body. Then he says this line, I saved you that from now on you would honor God with your body. Your body belongs to God. Bought at the price of the cross. Every time you want to do your own thing in your body that goes in contradiction to him, just go to the cross and say, let's have an argument. Who, who purchased me? Do I belong to me or do I belong to the one who purchased me? See, it's a total, total uh, uh, rebellion and contradiction that you get to live as you please. Oh, no, you don't. You American, pompous, uh, arrogant believer, if you are. You're not purchased to live as you want. You're purchased to live for the master who bought you. Your body is his. Now, I want to ask some of you, what's God getting to do with your body? What is actually being done? Are you going to fall in? You know, I see these exercise freaks, and I know some Christians that way. Uh, they're going to fall in their grave with an in-shaped body that did squat for the Lord. But, man, they were in good shape. I say, oh, throw up. Well, who, when does God get your body? He actually uses people with arthritis. 
He actually could use a gal named Amy Carmichael down in India when she was bedfast the last 15 years of her tenure in India at the dawn of her fellowship, wrote some terrific poetry and kept running that mission to help lepers. And you're amazed at what some people have done from a hospital bed. And where's your body in the operation? You say, well, you know, I expect that some of you. You know what? What you do with your body tells me where your heart is. And, that, and the reason you can't be available, you're not saved. Or you're totally as illogical as anyone could be. Because he said in Romans 12, present your body to God, which is your reasonable service. God gets his work done through bodies. Old bodies, infirm bodies, gray-headed bodies, uh, good-looking, ugly it doesn't matter. Just give him a body. Give him a body. You know, I think of all of our landscaping that's down on the lower. If you go out the lower parking there, uh, much of that land, a good portion of it belongs to the city. But we got permission. And uh, we got a man in this church who makes his living being an expert advisor on how to raise plants. He and a team of men for the last two years they planted all those plants because we have deacons meetings sometimes uh, well, we, each month on Saturday morning. And many times before the meeting, I'll see him and his crew. And after we leave, he and his crew are there. All that foliage out there, the Lord didn't plant. He planted it through a man and his crew. Real simple, but it's so pretty. It sure enhances the look. The city thinks we're one of the best-looking uh, locations and buildings in the whole city. Guess what? A man said, my body's available on Saturday. And some other men will help me dig holes, put a plant. Huh? Pastor Rollins and I and our wives, I remember, it shows you how either broke or bored we were. Used to come out here on Friday nights with their wives and weed the, uh, uh, the side of the hill there. We were trying to grow uh, ivy. And so I, I told my wife, honey, let's have a date. Let's go pull weeds. You're the only rose I've got. The rest are weeds. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> 45 years yesterday, still kissing on her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it gets so mussy right now. Um, I would say, how is your body being used to display Christ? And uh, I must say this. Uh, I, I don't want to intentionally bash anyone, but it's just my own story. You know, I grew up with people that we were always seeking the power, seeking the power. And uh, we wanted another work of grace. And we sought gifts and we sought tongues. And, uh, and boy, we had a ball. We, 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 you, it's amazing how much fun you can have and be wrong. You may not cut it just straight, but the heart was right. But I would hear about all this power we got, this power we got. And you know what? One of the surest ways God let me know he saved me is uh, my morals. And I've often said, and I mean it respectfully, it was easier to talk in tongues than to keep my pants zipped. It took more power of God 
to have moral behavior than it did to display what we called a supernatural gift. Don't get all caught up in the gifts until you can tell me, how do you treat the opposite sex? And by the way, are you living pure? Well, I believe in the power of God. Well, let's start with your body. Well, I'm single. You know, you can't be pure in this. Oh, I guess the Holy Spirit dies in a single's life. He's just not powerful enough for a single. And sex is stronger than the Holy Spirit, you know. No, no. What we need to display to our culture is my God and his purchase of me and his dwelling in me is bigger than all the sexual opportunities of the day. And believe me, we know it's loaded with temptation. It's out to destroy every one of us. But guess what? The Holy Spirit will not leave you unaided because Christ purchased you and he wants you. See, you thought this was going to be a lot sexier than it is. But I think you first of all need a foundation of who owns my body. And, and does God, is he concerned how I use my sexuality? Absolutely concerned. Because you've been purchased, you've been indwelt, and now next week we'll look at marriage and that he wants us to enjoy sexual privilege in it. And now you'd be amazed. Everybody's too tired once they get married. And we'll look at that next week. <laughs> <laughs>